This week, you're in for a real treat. I'm joined at the table by fellow artist and photographer and dear friend of mine, Catherine Just. She joins me from Los Angeles, and we chat about all things from Toltec wisdom to EFT tapping to being a creative for a living, single parenting, um, raising a child with special needs, and how to live a life and honor the artist in yourself. We also um, dive deep into her 30 plus years of sobriety and what it means to be a constantly evolving human. I can't wait for you to check this one out. You're gonna love it. Take a seat at the table next to me, Robin Ivy, and some of today's most meaningful thought leaders, mentors, and spiritual guides, and even some people like you and I, as we discuss their extraordinary lives and adventures in being human. Enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm so excited for today's guest. This is my good friend, oh, Catherine Just. Hello. Gonna, I know. I'm going to read you her bio because it's better than what I would say. So here we go. Catherine Just is an artist, photographer, and activist living in Los Angeles. Her work has been published on the cover of National Geographic, Inside O Magazine, and showed in galleries internationally. Her work investigates what lives in between the worlds and underneath the surface of all forms of relationship. She considers her art process a sacred practice of listening to energy. Catherine got sober from a meth addiction at 18 years old on August 18, 1987. She went to art school and studied conceptual art, apprenticed with Miguel Ruiz, the Toltec teacher and author of The Four Agreements, and believes creative expression is a portal to spiritual connection. Catherine offers limited edition prints of her artwork and travels internationally for her photo sessions using large format film cameras. She leads artist retreats in France and teaches courses online using art as a tool for transformation. She mentors artists and entrepreneurs globally and is the proud mama of her 12-year-old son, Max Harrison, who happens to have Down syndrome. She's currently living, oh, currently developing the Max Harrison Foundation, the first program that will teach children with Down syndrome how to use cameras for self-expression. Oh, so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank it's you. 90 degrees where I am. So I feel like I'm, I'm switzing. You're looking good. It's why they all spray the people on the sets, right? Yeah. You need a mister. That's it. If well, we weren't, if we weren't doing the HD audio, right? I could have some <laughs> kind of fan blowing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I wanted everybody to know. Um, I, well, I was writing the list of like, which things to talk to you about. And I realized like my favorite thing about us is that there's like, I could talk to you about 10 different things for 10 different hours, 10 different true. times. It is true. Right. I was like, mm, do I want to talk about how we met? Cause that was funny. Do I want to talk about, um, owning our roles as artists? Do I want to talk about art as medicine? Uh, how important recovery has been to your process of transformation, being, being Max Harrison's mom, uh, Toltec path, or, um, you know, being seen and all the confidence that comes from being photographers and being, yeah. So okay. any of those resonating for you? My God, where do we start? I know. All of it. Well, let's start with our conversation the other day, because just before we recorded, you were like, that conversation changed something. So let's it just did. start there because you're smart. Um, you That's know, why not? All right. You're welcome. Yeah. Smart and sweaty. 
That's the only way I like you. That's it. Sweaty. Um, yeah, that conversation was great because I was a little confused. I was mm. feeling confusion about how to talk about what I do or why I even do what I do. It was like a crossroads. Like, how do I talk about this? Who am I talking to? And you asked the best questions and I got to the point. I Which was? Which was, you actually said it in my bio because I changed it. Mm. I changed my bio. I changed the way I talk about everything now. Art as medicine is like so important to me and has been for a long time. And that I even changed the logo on my website because of our conversation. Like it just came down to the point. The point is creative expression is the portal to spiritual connection. And that also includes connection with myself. Right. And to the world, like I, and, and I think even if you're just buying art to put on your wall, that is a portal to spiritual connection. Like it doesn't matter if you made it or, or you're just experiencing it from the outside, all of it leads to the same place. I think. Yeah. I think that's so true. Say more about art as medicine. Cause I feel like it's one of my favorite things about the work you do. I feel like it's, to me, it's one of the truest things you say. Oh, thank you. You know, you know how like when people just got a divine download of something and you're probably not the first person to say art is medicine, but when you say it, there's a resonance that lands with me. Like I know what you mean as an artist, but I wonder about like for people who are listeners who don't self-identify as artists, um, though I I argue those things. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Like say more about what you mean by them. Um, Well, the back story quickly is uh, that when I got sober, I went to art school and I was really uncomfortable being here. End of statement. Mm. And, uh, and I was learning about conceptual art and I didn't want to be around people because I was uncomfortable around people. So I used myself and my own artwork and I was using photography at the time. So I was doing self-portrait work. But I was really interested in all the feelings I was having because they were there and I wasn't covering them up with drugs or alcohol anymore. I just had to be with them. So I was using them as the subject matter. I was trying to figure out how to express something visually that I couldn't talk about. So, And that was the beginning of a curious mind. And it has led me to 33 plus years of investigating what lives underneath the surface, the stuff that we're not talking about, the feelings that we're having that we're too afraid to admit we're having. And that turned into the classes that I teach and it's still the art that I'm making. Even if now it's not so dark and brooding, I still feel like it's a pathway or a doorway that's that's starting from a feeling. Right. So that's, that's where it comes from. And it's evolved over the years. I used to teach a class called self-portraiture as medicine. But really when you say self-portraiture, people are like, I was thinking about that today. Like, I don't want to have to, um, convince you to take a class. <laughs> so I'd rather just say art as medicine and you can use your camera and face it towards yourself if you wish. <laughs> but um, Yeah, but it's fascinating that self-portraiture triggers that much fear and anxiety in people. Oh, yeah. just, just the word. Just right? the word. Yep. Why, 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 that's, that's amazing to me. Yeah, I'd have to say to people, that doesn't mean your face even has to be in the picture. I think that every single piece of art or photograph that we take is a self-portrait because it is our point of view, Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd stop tripping people up on the wording. (laughs) Has it worked? 
Yeah, people are more interested in just the blanket statement art as medicine than than self-portraiture as medicine. It was bringing in a specific kind of person and and it's and now I feel like I've opened it up and and I'm getting more focused at the same time dealing with people who are in recovery of some sort and we've talked about this that I think that we're all recovering from something. So it really it applies to every human on the planet that we can take something that's uncomfortable and turn it into gold. Yeah. How do you find, how have you used your art as your own medicine throughout your own life? Well, I didn't know how to be here. So it, it distracted me from being here, mm-hmm. you know, like I so got started to- off as another escape yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it got me focused on what was happening in real life mm. um, without leaving myself through drugs and alcohol and investigate it while I was feeling it without hurting myself. And that was like the key to me was I'm no longer harming myself because I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm actually channeling that discomfort into and creating something. Alchemizing um, it, really. Yeah, mm. alchemy, I would say, is the perfect word for that. And so, and today I feel an ache to create the way a heroin addict feels like when they want to use heroin, like my mouth starts watering and my arms start aching and I can't not make something like I feel it right now. I got to go. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I feel like, I sorry, feel everybody interviews over. Yeah. Sorry. I got to go. But yeah, I do feel super curious. And I think that that leads down a path of self inquiry and, and also just being interested in life in general. Now I'm interested in neuroscience and psychology and the way that we deal inside relationships and, and how the Toltec path has also informed the way I show up in the world and how my art has shifted too, because I'm looking at it from different vantage points. It's just the whole thing is medicine. <laughs> life is <laughs> life is medicine. Thanks a lot, life. Ta-da! Right. <laughs> and I actually heard a, um, uh, interview recently with Sadhguru, mm-hmm. at, whom I actually, I truthfully, I really know very little about him, right? I just yeah. sometimes stumble upon his stuff on YouTube and somebody asked him like what his daily practices, like what are his practices? And he just, I mean, he, if <laughs> to say he laughed at the person's face is really like an understatement, but he didn't mean it that way, but it really came out as like, he was like, he, he was like life. It's all, this is like every moment is my practice. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't have a practice. I have a life. And like every moment in life is showing me whether or not I'm showing up, whether or not I'm being who I want to be. Like life, life is my practice. I love that. He asked me that once when I was leading a retreat, they said, what is it that you have to do in order to hold space for all these people? And I looked at her like nothing. (laughs) I mean, I, I listen, not nothing. Well, not nothing, but I'm listening. I don't have to like meditate for an hour before class starts. You know, she was wondering like, what's my ritual beforehand? I'm like, I make my espresso. Like I just (laughs) feel like I tune in. (laughs) I get present. But I think that as photographers, it took me, I mean, I put a camera in my hand when I was like 12, right? Now I'm 47. So I've had one with me for quite a while, but it took me decades before I understood that just by consistently revisiting my habit or my hobby of photography was teaching me a level of mindfulness and a sense of presence 
that I would not have gained if I hadn't had the practice of photography. Like it was sort of like a bait and switch. Like I was, I was bought into the photography of it. Had somebody said like, you need to go out and meditate for an hour every day or something. I probably wouldn't have gotten so on board with that in terms of like my ability to show up for it every day. But the camera was like a reason to do that. And it, it sort of maybe came out of escapism or something, but it should, but it really turned into a presence uh, practice. Absolutely. I feel like that is, I feel like that is it. Yeah. I feel like the lens actually gave me an opportunity to really see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to see things that other people like to look and in ways that other people don't look and to look at things that other people don't see. Correct. But I don't think I would have even considered it. I would have been one of those other people, right? I am one of those other people. Mm -hmm. And then you hand me a camera and I'm like, whoa, like the whole, everything becomes a little bit more technicolor because I'm looking, like noticing how the light wraps itself around everything is a turn on. Yeah. It's a total turn on to me. And that is being present. That is the portal to the connection, you know, that we are all craving and, and that it exists all the time. We are it. I I think that there's a, a, Fortunately, this misleading idea that you have to take these classes and do all those things to get to a place when the place is actually you, we've just forgotten and it's covered up in a whole lot of thinking. Well, and we're taught that from such a young age that people outside of ourselves know more than we do about something. Like I was actually, my my youngest turns 18 tomorrow and graduates from high school. No, I know. And he's leaving in a month for school. And so we've been sort of like the, my maternal instinct is like, you know, kind of like if he was going to summer camp and I'm like, remember your underwear. And I'm like, okay, remember, like you really do want to talk to strangers and remember that you really do want to do the scary things. And remember, like, I might keep trying to like shove out these little life lessons of things that I've remembered along the way of like, okay, you really do want to just like sit and notice, like. You want yeah. to just sit and notice, you know, he's like, if you think you're teaching me everything by next month, like <laughs> it's mommy guilt. Sorry. Yeah. It's just how it works. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, because I actually don't know this story about you, but how did you, how did you come to get into the Toltec work? How did that, how did that come about? Um, I had 10 years of sobriety. I was 28 years old and I was depressed. Um, I was going to AA meetings. That's That was the doorway into sobriety for me. And I had come to feel disenchanted and disinterested with the dogma that people brought, not necessarily the program itself, but the people and their dogma was a big turnoff. And so I, I was feeling increasingly isolated and isolating myself from not just people that were sober, but I didn't want to hang out with people that weren't sober either. So I was like, lost. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah. Or that I don't fit anywhere again. <laughs> like, didn't I already go through this once? <laughs> um, so I like, shoot, I'm an outsider to the outsider club. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Oh to, no. Yeah. I am the girl who went to art school and did not get a tattoo because <laughs> everyone has a tattoo. Our, like how, how conforming can you be? People are always surprised to find that out that I don't have one. I'm like, what? I don't want to be like everyone else. Um, but yeah, so I was depressed and, uh, a friend of mine suggested that I go to a workshop where one of the teachers that were apprenticed right underneath Miguel 
had come to Portland to teach. And I, she was one of those friends that always thought she knew what I needed. And I was always that girl who said, that's cute that you think you know what I need. Run along. And uh, then uh, I was just in enough pain. And it was just the right timing. So I went begrudgingly. And what I heard in that room, I didn't really understand what they were saying, but I felt like I was home for the first time in my life. Mm. So I stayed and it changed my everything. And it still, it still impacts my life today. It's everything. I feel like I'm constantly uh, stalking my mind. And, and the thought that 98% of what I think is why I suffer I mean, I used to, that used to just piss me off. Don't tell me that it's what I'm thinking. Let me tell you about my life and all the things that have happened to me. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, take a seat while my righteousness tells you a little story. Exactly. <laughs> it's take, it took me a while. I'm a very rebellious, don't tell me what to think or do kind of girl, clearly. Like my first squatty potty was a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, really, it was hard for me. It was really... Uh, challenging. We used to say that we're not telling anyone to join the Toltec path. We don't want them to drink the Kool-Aid because once they go down the rabbit hole, you're not coming back. And it, it is, it is true. Like once you start revealing to yourself, the reason why you're suffering is because of what you think hmm. and of what you believe it's painful. <laughs> it is painful, but it's not more painful than the pain we're already in. Correct. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the kicker, I think, or like, that's the why, right. It's like, we're already, we're not like crazy for choosing more pain. We're already in pain and we're choosing, right. Yes. But, and we're also addicted to that story of pain. Yes. Totally. If we don't have that story. Right. What if we're free now? Right. Free to roam, (laughs) free to roam. You are (laughs) You've yeah. been freed from the cage that you put yourself in. Now yeah. what? I mean, that is also, there's a terrifying factor involved in being free. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've recognized um, not that many great examples. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if, if personal freedom and joy is a, uh, is a happy marriage. Oh like, yeah. Where are the. Where are the last living buffalo? Oh, I know, I know, I know. I know. It's yeah. very true. But we it feels know. like that. Like that. I mean, I really do think like there's um it's interesting because I hold this both in. Like a friend of mine's husband was recently diagnosed with a uh, a pretty advanced stage cancer. And so I've been managing that intersection for myself and my own belief about like creating our own reality, right? And like that we are responsible for everything and how that how how and where that plays out for me in those tricky places like cancer diagnoses, right? And thinking of all of the people who will now reach out to her and say like, tell him how to think differently and tell him to like eat avocados and like stop eating sugar. Like if he ever eats a sour patch kid, it'll be worse and like you know, whatever, right? All the things, yeah, all the things. Uh, and I'm learning from myself, like it's really the both, it's the both and. Like the both accepting the humanness, but really for me, I really do believe that that my thinking creates, my thinking creates it. Well, I have something to say about that. Yeah. So Miguel has suffered. I mean, I'm just going to use him as an example. I could use myself as an example. I'm going to use this one because it's so powerful. He, he had a, 
he's had many heart attacks. He had a heart transplant actually. And he was in a coma when I was working at his office. He, he did suffer from a, he was in a coma and his son went to, well, a couple of things were happening. People were calling the office all the time crying, like very concerned about Miguel, very sad about what was happening. And none of us were sad at all. We were blissed out, man. We were so connected to the energy that is Miguel, no matter if he's living or dead. Right. We were just not having, we weren't taking it personally. We were not taking it personally. And, uh, and, and we take life so personally. And, and most of the time when I'm suffering around like turbulence on a plane, it is because I'm taking my life so personally. Yeah. And it's actually kind of humorous when, when I notice myself doing that, I do it quite often, but his son went to visit him in the hospital at one point when he was out of a coma, he was able to talk and his son was crying and so sad and all of this stuff. And Miguel said, you need to leave the room and get yourself together because you're taking this personally and I am completely okay. No matter what, it doesn't mean anything. I'm just having an experience. It's not good, bad, right, or wrong. Mm -hmm. It just is. And so when people, so he did, he went out and took care of himself and came back in and just felt gratitude for the fact that he was having an experience right now that included his father in real life and that it didn't mean anything. Like he didn't have any, he didn't have anything to go on about the future. All he had was this moment. So he was just in it and feeling grateful. And I think of that often when I am projecting into the future and think that I should be having a certain experience of living or poor me that I've lost the hearing in my left ear and now there's loud buzzing in it or poor me that whatever, fill in the blank. And, and I'm either feeling sorry for myself or I don't care at all. Like, it's just a thing that's happening. It's not, it, it's not up for debate, whether it's right, wrong, good, or bad. That's something that the the human construct we we've constructed that this measuring right Right. well it's such a it's such a great way of keeping our ego satisfied right like to even think that's that the debate itself is real oh yeah right like i love when that something happens and i can zoom above that debate and be like oh that's right it's we're not we're not it's not about this or that it's not about any of that it's about getting way beyond the this or the that at all Yes, yes, yeah. and yes, we're trying to qualify, quantify all the things about every single thing and that I must have made that happen because I'm such a negative person and if only I would just be happier and think positive thoughts, nothing bad would ever happen. That's actually not, not no. <laughs> right, not says 13 billion years of life that's unfolded. Yeah, yeah, things are living and dying all the time in nature and, and nature doesn't take it personally. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Is that the Toltec wisdom? It is. <laughs> I yeah. can't help myself. Yeah, yeah, it is. Not taking stuff personally is major. Not taking anything personally is really difficult because that's what we were taught to do. And um, and if we don't take anything personally, not even what other people are saying, not saying, thinking, not saying, doing, whatever fill in the blank about what other people are doing to us in quotes, mm. uh, then we can be happy all the time. We can have a, and, and happy meaning like we are content with what is. Right. We're not re- rebelling against or fighting against. Right. Yeah. People are just being themselves. Who cares? I don't have to waste any of my energy 
talking about, thinking about, being disturbed by anything that's happening. I think that, um, I wonder if that's a place of like the existential crisis for people, right? Of like, of that sort of level of surrender. I love that level of surrender. Like I love the idea, or I should say, I love the idea of that. And I know that, that I feel like the older I get, the more I can kind of like flow into that, stay longer in that space. Yeah. Right. And then the humanness in me kind of will yank me down. Right. It's like, it's sort of like coming back to the breath and meditation. Like it happens. I fall off the wagon. I come back to it. I fall off the wagon. Yeah. And I would even say that there is no wagon. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> even the wagons are racket. I yeah. think that one thing I noticed for myself, and, and I want to go back to what I just said about like, we aren't bothered by anything. Well, yes. If somebody came in and started to be abusive to my son, I will get angry. It's not that we don't have feelings. I think that we've, we've judged ourselves for having them mm. or for how we are in the world. We're constantly, we're even measuring that. So we learn a new spiritual practice and then we use it against ourselves. Right. And I think like the key really is to use the practice because it's helpful and learn how to not judge ourselves no matter what we choose in the moment. I get scared on the freeway. I don't want to drive at night. If it's raining out, I'll probably cancel plans because I don't want to drive in the rain. Yeah. People would say, well, honey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> use the Toltec practice and don't take it personally. I'm like, okay. And I'm choosing to not go to the thing. And I don't, I don't judge myself for that. Right. Right. Using the practices to anchor more of a deeper self-trust instead yeah, of using that, the practices to anchor something further outside of ourselves. Yeah. I think that I do it. I think everybody you know, I think that really learning compassion towards yourself, no matter, I mean, I say this in my, I do EFT tapping now and they say, you know, I love myself no matter what I say. No, I love myself no matter fucking what. Yeah. Right. Right. Because who else is there? Right. It's not easy. No, no, it's not easy. It's interesting because I just watched this documentary um, I'm doing this transformational leadership program that I've been in and really, I've been really enjoying it. And I recently just watched a documentary about, <laughs> about a transfer, transformational leadership program where the leader then went like off the rails and, uh, and, and I was like, oh, so but like, it was, I mean, it was so good, right. It was so good. in the, like, I guess like my, my like spirit, like my, it was like my, my guilty pleasure TV, like had desperate housewives or something for people yeah. to watch that I've never seen yeah. that or the bachelorette I don't know but this cult shit really turns me on yeah so but I was like oh god because it was so similar to the work that we're doing right there's like it's an interesting thing to to live as humans who are interested in being seekers and taking greater responsibility for the lives that we create and the choices we make and the agency we have for ourselves and wanting to like deeper explore and recognize that the reason so many people don't is because we live in a human container that has generally not been a safe place to do that, where somebody outside of us was questioning our, our motivations in a way that, um, that took us out of our trust of ourselves instead of like re encouraging us to become more of ourselves. You know yeah, what I mean? I and I've been thinking like, I wanted to create these interviews, because I was, I've just was feeling last year in having my own kind of dream come undone. I'd just gone like all in on this studio of mine and was like hosting these transformational conversations and dinner parties. And it was like, everything was coming together. 
And then it all just wasn't right. And it gave me so much opportunity to think about, well, how, how do I be present with what is no matter what it is? And how do I, how do I move forward? When I recognize that like, I'm both responsible and not like I didn't create the pandemic. Right. And here I am and it with the agency and the willingness and the thoughts to create what's next for me. And like, how do I do that? Well, how do we, how do we move through this? Like, how do you feel like whether it's the Toltec practices or having just been on the other side of a camera, witnessing people in the world for as long as you have or the work you've done in sobriety, like how do those things come together for you when you're trying to move forward or like be sit with what is and create what's coming? I think that's such a good, I really enjoyed just listening to your experience just now. And I appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. that so candidly. And I went through it too, where I'm like, I actually didn't mind. I'm sitting in the same spot I've been sitting in since they told us to go into quarantine. I'm like, wow, I get to stare at my eucalyptus tree outside and watch the light change all day. I'm good. I'm real good. And that's yeah. astounding to me <laughs> as a person who was crawling out of her skin for many, many years and didn't want to be with myself. You know, now I'm like, yeah, I'm good. However, my dip, my immediately my business unraveled in front of my eyes. Like I couldn't travel and I couldn't do photo shoots. That's like the big portion of my income was. And then you got to listen to everybody say how sad they were for restaurants. And I was like, yes, but there's so many other <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then there are the <laughs> the artists. Hi, um, everyone. I mean, everyone. Everyone, was- everyone. Listen, yeah. and the and the restaurants and the everybody. Yeah, everybody. And I think the really what I had to look at too is not just the financial shift, but where am I getting my sense of self from? How. How do I feel about myself no matter fucking what? No matter if I have the money coming in or I'm shooting a certain person or not, photographing, I should say. Um, Like, where am I getting my sense of okayness? Is it from that? Like, I do, I am grateful that I have a job that I've created for myself. I created Mm -hmm. and I can pivot. And what does that look like? That's exciting to me. I become, it's another form of, you know, opening the doorway of what would it feel like if I become an interior designer now? What if I became a writer now? What if I, you know, I, and I, that's a privileged thing to even be able to ask those questions for sure. I'm very aware of that. That's not necessarily everyone's experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the, in the pandemic, I have had to come to terms with, uh, can I stay in this house that I'm in Mm. and do how does that feel? How does it feel to have to possibly move into a different uh, part of Los Angeles or Mm. out of Los Angeles? Maybe I need to move out of Los Angeles. What does that mean about me? What am I making that mean about me? And I think that's the interesting question that comes up because I've done that. I want to do this work. I want to investigate what is my ego trying to do Mm. here? What does my ego think of me right now? I think my ego is trying to take me down as quickly as possible. And my friend, Jeff Kober taught me and continues. I love sharing this, that he says, the mind is a, is a problem solving machine. And all it has to go on is stuff from the past. And from the past, I know from my own history that there's a lot of wreckage I've caused. And so my mind is like, remember that? (laughs) You actually suck. Let me show you. (laughs) 
all the years that you have done it incorrectly. <laughs> Thanks, mind. <laughs> and continue to, and <clears throat> excuse me, and probably will again, right? Yeah. yeah, so I have choices in every moment to hear that and uh, make that mean something and take it personally. And notice that I'm taking it personally and then choose again and rewrite how I show up in the world, no matter what is happening externally, it doesn't mean anything about me. It just is happening. I think that I, I find it all just interesting to observe, not that I'm doing it right or get it or anything. I just, I like having tools that I can use to investigate how the mind works and what it does as a result of trying to cope with real and imagined danger. Yeah, so it's like why we were separated at birth somehow. I know. Because <laughs> I think so, so something so interesting about being like, like considering the role of witness, the role that a witness plays in society. Like I thought so much like in, in, in watching the pandemic unfold, it was really interesting for me to like sort of take my role as a witness and start to witness like, okay, the doctors are going right to work. Like some people are like, their job is to like get busy, hunker down and go. And that's what they do. And like, that's the role they play in this world. And like, often it's the way they are in their families and the thing they do. And I think there's a huge part of personal development and really spiritual work. That's a lot about just allowing yourself the grace to experience, to kind of awaken to the idea that there's a role that you are here to play in some way and you can fight it tooth or nail, or you can say, okay, well, if I'm the, if I'm the, if I'm the tugboat captain, I don't get to be the lion tamer at the same time. I'm the tugboat captain. Like if I'm here to be the tugboat captain, then that's then like, I get on tugboats and I move stuff and I, this and I, that, and like, I don't need to sit here the whole time being like, but I'm not an, I'm not a banker. I'm not a bank teller. Right. And you're like, I know. Cause you're a tugboat captain. And like, we need those, right? Yeah. Like you, right. It's like, you could spend your whole life being upset about all the things we're not. Right. Or pay attention to what's incredibly sacred in the role that we get to play in the time that we're here to do us and That's like true. to squander that role. Like I just keep waking up to being like, oh, well, how foolish then? Like if you're here to be like a doctor, then like, please get busy and do that to the best of your ability, because the whole world will be better if you do. And like, chop, chop, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, and if we're here to witness, then I think then I need to not never take another productivity workshop or some sort of left brain, like it could be happened quicker, faster, more efficient. Uh, and instead I can just say like, no, cause I'm here. Like I'm a witness. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean I stand here and I do nothing and like, whatever, it's not a, it's not a non doing gig to be a witness, but it's, it's right. a sacred role we play. That is true. At all of us. Yeah. I think that we tend to compare and despair a lot. Right. I do. I do. Probably just me. It's just me. I, <laughs> I suffer from terminal. It's just us, disease. Catherine. It's just us. I don't know. That self, that lack of self-doubt thing. I think it's just, I think we're just splitting the pie equal here. <laughs> possibly understand the pain I'm in. Nobody. <laughs> we're so exceptional. There's no one who understands. I'm such know, an I exception like, to the rule. I like, I like busting people about that because I suffer from it too. The, the terminal uniqueness. Oh yeah. But I really did not know. I didn't know because nobody's talking about it. And I, I did. That yeah, that's it. Gift of alcoholics, and, like people come to me and they're like, how do you, 
get on live Instagram and just talk so openly about and transparently about everything that you do. I'm like, go to treatment when you're 18 years old and get, you know, asked to share what's really going on underneath the surface with like all the stuff you're not saying out loud for 30 years. And it's so not a big deal. And I think what a gift that has been mm. to learn how to speak the things that most of us are hiding. And, and then I think it gives other people opportunity to, to know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. That's it. We're not, we're not alone. We don't, we're not suffering from something that no one else has ever suffered from. We're all actually basically saying the same things to ourselves. I listened to this great podcast with, uh, I think it was Brene Brown and Judd Apatow. Apatow, yeah. And um, he's a screenwriter and Hollywood. He said, he said that he feels his job is to like uh, say, tell people, speak to people about the unseen in ways that makes them feel less alone. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. Can I put that on my right? Website? That's what I was like. I wrote it down. I'm like, that's it. Because that's I it. think, I think for so many of us, that is it. Like that that's is it. it. Because when you sit and witness while everyone is busy doing other things, there's things we know or notice or just have a perspective or an opinion on because we were sitting here watching. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you just know something different if you're watching and like, it's a weird job to be a watcher, but it's a job. Like that's a thing. It is weird. And it's weird to watch people who don't watch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because it's like weird to think you go through your whole life without watching. And like, that seems totally impossible to me. Like, <laughs> well, I'm like, awesome. I'm like, well, what, and what would, and what would you be, what would you be doing? Like, I actually am not even, I often say, I'm like, well, what would you go through your day thinking if you weren't thinking like, you don't, oh, Huh. Well, like the things I think about, you know, people are like, well, I never thought about that. And I'm like, I don't only think about that. I don't actually like my, my bandwidth of things I think about is pretty narrow and pretty deep and like pretty out there. But yeah, I don't like hanging out in the shallow end of the pool. Like I just throw me into the deep end, man. That's the name of my Facebook group because I couldn't come up with anything that felt more representational. Yeah. My I was like, that's really uplifting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want this kind of life, the deep end. but that's kind of how I roll. Like I really, you know, I feel like one of the parts of being a witness is like, you see both ends of the spectrum, you know, like you see a lot of light and you see a lot of dark and it, it covers a lot of territory. Like if you're going to hold the box of crayons, there's a lot of colors in there. Like there's a lot going on. You know what I find interesting too, as somebody who sees is that I don't see what I don't see until I see it. Oh, right. Myself. So like what or I Or anything. What I noticed for me is that I don't see stuff about myself unless I'm inside relationship. Oh. So it like doesn't matter how many self-help books I read or how much I think I know about relationship or about myself or all the work I've done. Enter a, another human right in front of me and I'm facing a lot, all the stuff that I didn't know I hadn't faced yet. And what a gift that is, really. Right. So long as you know how to be present with yourself for it. Yeah. Otherwise, it just feels like a, a car accident that you keep having every weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have to say my my current situation is that I find that anytime I'm triggered, it's an opportunity for me to see the wound I haven't cleaned yet from my childhood. Yeah. So I think, bring it, bring yeah. it, yeah. bring it. Let's do that's this. the shift, right? I mean, I think that that's the shift from from feeling like life is kind of sitting upon us, yeah. happening happening to us versus that 
kind of that gray area, like turning the Titanic in a bathtub, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to swim. I'm going to slowly figure out how to turn this. And then you can actually get excited of like, you know what, the thing that was a challenge that I was avoiding, like now I'm like, bring it because I, because I, I want the gift that's on the other side of that thing. Yeah, I do. That hasn't made me do 75 strong or hard or whatever that thing is yet, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not really maybe ready for that challenge just yet. (laughs) Not yet. Thanks. I prefer the challenges I'm comfortable with. (laughs) Me too. I'm not ordering that on the menu yet. I've learned that for myself. I was like, that's interesting. You even choose your challenges by familiarity and like by comfort. Like, oh, I'll take that challenge. Oh, will you? That's nice. (laughs) Like, I'd like the challenge I'm the most comfortable with. Thanks. I love that when people say, why does this keep happening to me? (laughs) Or why do I keep picking the same guy? I mean, that was my story for a long time. Why does that, why do I keep picking the same kind of guy? Well, because I haven't dealt with the thing. I haven't looked at myself yet. I haven't, I haven't taken responsibility for the part that's me involved. What did did you feel like you learned like in the past 18 months, what surprised you that you learned about how to move forward or how to be with what is, or like how to be okay, even? Um. That's such a great question. I think what I noticed is that I am okay. I am okay sitting here to circle back at Mm. this table, (laughs) looking outside this window and not needing anything. I don't need anything. Yes, I need to eat and pay my bills. And I can get creative about that. And I can ask for help if I need it. You know, like there, it's hard. I'm not saying it's not a challenge. I think we're all facing that part of it in one way or another, the, the financial fallout from having everything shut down. And the, ment- and the mental health of it all. You know, I mean, even For people, sure. even people, in some ways I've been grateful to be a person who has had mental health, who has been in relationship with my mental health as long as I have, because I think these moments, it must be quite shocking for people who are not in that really in relationship to that to be navigating, because I see people who weren't having any of those issues really struggling with some stuff that they seem to have very few skills to manage. And I'm like, oh, that was like 15. I was like 15. Yeah. That one. Yeah. That that book, I was like 17. Yeah. 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 But you know, my darkness came young, like my darkness came, came young and it came dark. And I think that one of the gifts of like hitting dark early was that it gave me a lot of time to to explore it. it. It gave me way too much. I chose to hang in it for way too long, thinking that I was here to just become like a deep understander of the dark, yeah. which I am. But I also recognize now I can also just turn the light on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. there's that, like you can just turn the light no, on. No, man, I didn't really want to. Like that over there seemed a little too fluffy for me. I'll hang out over here where it's dark and brooding and, and real. Weird. We both said the same word at the same time. Real. Um, but uh, but joy uh, is real. You know, I'm learning joy is real. Joy is real. And how much joy are we really, really willing to experience in a day? Yeah. And how much, how much, how much are we willing to sit with the fear of the thoughts we're fear, we're afraid we're going to tell ourselves. Like I say to coaching clients all the time, like, cause they'll say, well, you know, I'm really afraid of this. And I'm like, no, you're just afraid. You're going to tell yourself that you're not actually afraid of that thing. You're just afraid of the thought you're going to have. Like, even if you, I don't know, let's say you decide to like 
end your marriage of 50 years, right? Like, like, oh my God, like I'm going to be devastated. I'll be heartbroken. I'll be all these things. It's like, maybe, but you're only afraid you're going to feel that way if in the moment you choose to think that thing. So you're actually just afraid of the thought you might tell yourself in the moment. Right. That might, right. Because in order for that to happen, you'd have to be having that thought, which means you're not afraid of the thing. You're afraid of the thinking you might do to yourself. Yes. On behalf of yourself. Like, oh, I'm afraid that if I stub my toe, I might be enough of an asshole to tell myself that I suck. That's what I'm afraid of. You're not afraid of stubbing your toe. I mean, you might be because you don't want to break your toe, but most likely you're afraid of the thing you're going to say to yourself when you stub your toe. That's a brilliant, that's a brilliant move. I really appreciate that. And how you said that, that it isn't really the thing we're afraid of. It's, it's the thought that conjures up the feeling that, and that we can change our mind. We, we do have a choice in the matter. We, we have a habit or addiction to the old self-defeating, you know, habitual groove that we're in about how we suck. And that can also be shifted. It can be shifted. I often think like how different it would be if the lifetime of negative uh, reinforcement that we get about being too this, that, or the other thing, if the opposite were true, like if we had been cheerleaded you know, like if, if instead of 138,000 negative commentaries, we'd had by the time we're 18, like what if they had been positive? Yeah. I have actually, if you feel into that, you know what it feels like. Yeah. You can yeah. feel it. I feel yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Just I'm thinking like, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel it in my body. I feel differently. I feel more confident and comfortable about myself. I don't question anything. I'm just myself. Yeah. I don't have to prove anything to anyone, not even to myself. Right. Well, that's, and that's the biggest kicker, isn't it? Not even to myself. Yeah. I just am myself. I already know that I'm great because it was enforced when I was young and, and I don't need anyone to keep telling me I am. I don't need it to hear it from my partner. My partner is just being themselves. I already know I am. How do you think you got that though? Because I feel like if for people who are listening for like for the part of me that will will that will listen back to this in moments when I'm not like hey on the other side of uh, right because <laughs> like that's so lovely when you're there and like yeah. having also really not been there and it's I feel like that's when I was even trying to come up with a title of like what I even what I wanted to even refer to this set of interviews as like I didn't want to just say like what's next like what's coming because I think there's so much of this idea about let's just get on with, get on to what's happening after this moment. Like, let's get out of this moment. Like most important is we're just out of this moment. I'm like, "Mm." I feel like I really have been so helped in my life by people who were willing to meet me in the moment I was in and did not need me to get out of it so that they could feel more comfortable about the space they'd be sharing with me. Thank you for saying it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, so I really felt like it was important to me that part of this offering is to offer people of like, look, wherever you are, right. Like it seems to me like people really tend to be in just a couple of places, like either they're really excited about something that they're wanting for themselves. And they're just like, but I'm not sure about the how or the what, or like, I got the fear about it. Right. Even though I'm super psyched and like, vision out there. I'm psyched, but like, uh, and then my mom always told me I was, uh, and so I'm not sure that I could, uh, right. Yeah. Or, or they're like, I got nothing. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I want. I'm in an apathetic blah, the mess that mm, I couldn't possibly No, You don't understand. 
like the opposite of the exception being like the uniqueness is the exception of like, no, you don't understand because it won't work for me. That won't work for me because I'm, I'm unique. I'm exceptional. I, that won't, that can't work for me. Yeah. All of that is, I relate to all of that in some way, shape or form in my life, either now or previous to this conversation. And I think when you asked me like, well, what would you say to other people who aren't feeling, I mean, I can't say that one of the gifts about being in recovery is that I have the experience of everything's always changing. And so I know that when I'm in pain, that behind that, there is a little bit of a giggle. I have to say, there's a little bit of a like, oh my God, this really sucks. I wonder, I wonder what the fuck is on the other side of this. Cause it, it better be good because this is really, really, really bad. Yeah. Really bad. So at least I have built up that conversation in my head because it can get dark really fast. I'm really good at it. Really, really good at it. I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> at you know throwing grenades down my own the own rabbit hole of doom you know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. two seconds I'm in hell and then I think huh how curious I'm contracting real hard right here <laughs> you know, I sometimes that- laugh and I think I can't believe that for as much as I beat up on myself in a lifetime I can't believe it never once occurred to me to like give myself some credit for like what a like humdinger of a beat myself up. Like I was like Goliath with a stick. Like I should have at the very least been giving myself some props for the ass whooping I was giving myself. I was like, mm, that was Olympic. That. that was Olympic gold. Like ass, they could write a novel about your level of ass whooping. Like that's a whole different category of hell you put a person through. Like, <laughs> wow. You know, like I didn't even, it never even occurred to me to give myself like, all right, out of girl. No, that's true. Yeah. You're professional that's, just, that's right. That's that took some skills. I've heard though, though, through learning about EFT tapping, the emotional freedom technique that we, uh, we are afraid of change. Like the reason why we keep saying we're going to work out every morning and then we don't isn't because we're stupid and not because we're lazy. It's because of a coping mechanism of change and neuroscience has proven that we need to feel safe. We need to feel safe inside the change or it's not going to happen or it's not going to stick. And knowing that it frees me a bit from that, you know, habitual <laughs> slang that I'm doing of myself around, you know, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just X, Y, Z? Well, Such let's talk about science, you know, it is a- And trauma. Yeah, I'm. I, it's a coping mechanism, even if it seems ridiculous. It, it isn't that there is a part of me that doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that part of me needs to be acknowledged. And if I don't acknowledge it, then I'm abusing it. And, and if I'm abusing it, I'm doing the same thing that my parents did. So the rebellious thing is to actually face that part of me that's scared, even if it looks like something I should judge myself about and ask myself the question, what is it that you need right now? Right. Yeah. I've been asking myself, like, what would really nourish you in this moment? Yeah. Right. Because it's easy to grab your phone or another cup of coffee or whatever it might be. Fill in the blank. You could do that too. And also ask yourself, right. Do all of it. It's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. And, and it's certainly, it's an ongoing uh, assessment. It's not like it's only going to look like me putting on my shoes and going outside for a walk because I feel a little distressed. It's going to be different every time. Yeah. There's no like, um, three simple rules too. No, I, I, at least not for, not for me. Can you get on those and just write those though? Yeah. For like, 
three simple rules to move forward. That would be a, a bestseller. It would, I mean, <laughs> yeah, because if you figured it out, by all means. And they say if it's a pointed thing, like the four agreements. Right. The five ways to blah. Bestseller. But yeah, I mean, people tell me all the time to meditate in the morning and do the tapping and do the, you know, future scripting and do the blah, whatever it is. But be, because there is a part of me that doesn't feel safe inside change, even if it's positive change, it doesn't matter what anyone tells me. I really, really have to learn to show up for myself and be okay with the fact that it's not potentially going to happen just because somebody told me to do it. Well, and knowing that that the that the issue is actually that you don't feel safe, right? Because I feel like we can really spend a lot of energy, a lot of resources, a lot of inner critic, like we can just beat ourselves up by misidentifying what's actually the issue at hand. And if the issue at hand is like, look, I don't feel safe. Okay, well, like being grown ass women capable of solving a lot of problems, it gets a lot easier to be like, okay, puddles, like, all right, muffin, what's, what are you missing? Like, what's the problem? Like, what do you need to feel safe? Like, what do I need to feel safe in this moment is a solvable, real, tangible thing you can work with. Right. And even when it's in the emotional space, like we can still work with that. We can be with the lack of safety. Yeah. When we don't know that's what it is. It's like, well, maybe I, maybe I should this, and maybe I'm just not productive and maybe I'm lazy and maybe I just suck. And maybe it's, and maybe I should just not. Right. And you go through this whole thing instead of like, oh, actually I just needed to, I just need to make myself feel safer. Yeah. It's okay for who knew my routine in the morning. I could set a timer for five minutes. It doesn't have to be like a complete makeover today. (laughs) Yeah. You don't have to wake up in your neighbor's house. (laughs) Now, you know what I also realized is that because I'm a, you know, that, that assessment tool where you find out if you're an obliger or a rebel or a. a Oh, uh uh-huh. Is that like the happiness? Is that Gretchen Rubin's thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I found that rebel. I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel for sure. Yeah. Did you oh. really need to take that test? You, no. you could have just texted me and been like, these are your options. Which one do you think I am? <laughs> yeah. I, I will definitely come to you next time. But, um, but what I also, if I'm rebelling against, I've said, I've said that I want to work out. I want to be one of those people that just can't not work out. You know what I mean? Like I can't not work out. I have the program uh, for you. Well, so. I am a person who makes my bed every day, no matter what, like that. I know that I know how to change a thing like that. Uh And uh, a friend of mine called who's a trainer and said, guess what? Somebody just gave us enough money to scholarship someone for a year of training and I'm picking you. And you know what happens? I show up every time and I'm mad the entire time. And I told her that I said, I'm a rebel. So I'm really pissed that I'm here right now, but I'm going to keep showing up, but I'm mad. Yeah. And it's just an interesting thing to have the experience of, getting what I want out of the blue from the universe saying, here's the thing you want. And I'm still like, I'm mad at it. Yeah. But I learned like, first, I love that because I think it's super honest and so (laughs) true. And second of all, I love that. Like you have got more powerful than your rebel because my rebel, she's really, man, she's really something else. Like she's really, she's tough. But I, I realized it's because it took me it took a lot of coming undone to recognize it, it took a lot of coming undone to be like, wait, which of me is coming undone? Like what me is coming undone? Wait, when free falling, wait, who's falling? Wait, which me's fall? Right. It's like, starts to be, it, it looks like that people. Yeah. It's that pretty. And, uh, 
but, but there's a gift in that because all of a sudden, like I've said, like, I realize that I am every age I've ever been. Like I see myself as a big old school bus with every age I ever was still on this bus. And sometimes different ages drive the bus without my grown up self realizing they got a hold of the wheel. And yep. now I'm like, what is happening on this bus? Or like, you know what I mean? I and do. Never, but I've learned that the gift is like, I get to then manage each relationship I have with the different part of me, recognizing that different parts of me need different things in different moments. Yeah. It's not my whole self that feels unsafe in that moment. It's one part of myself. It's usually my four-year-old or my eight-year-old. Yeah. My, you know, like I got like a 14-year-old doesn't have an opinion about much, but like my 12-year-old has a lot to say. My 15-year-old has a lot to say. There's like certain, certain ages that are just kind of like, you know, shit happened then, or like, that's just a place I learned something or got stuck on something. And, but it also, and then I learned there's a whole therapy approach called family systems, which Mm -hmm. turns out to be based. I was like, Oh, I got uncovered. Oh, it's already, somebody already knew about that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hey guys, turns out there's this thing called, (laughs) I don't have to, I don't have to tell you about it. Cause now there, I just tell you that I, I understood there to be this thing that turns out was already a thing other people know about called family <laughs> systems thinking, and they don't use the school bus analogy, but still there's all these different use in there though. That's and exactly what we were learning when I got certified in this specific EFT tapping. It was a woman who studied that and, yeah. and says like, there's a part of, there's a part of me that doesn't feel safe right now. And that's okay. Cause I love and accept myself no matter fucking what. Right. And I will learn how to feel safe in this because I am learning to release that part of me that still, you know, isn't sure. Yeah. And it's okay that I don't feel sure right now. Maybe I won't change my mind. Maybe I will. Maybe I will and wait. Maybe I won't. And you know, like, like, yeah. And sometimes that sureness isn't even on us. Like we live in a culture that is really yeah. confusing. We live in a time that's confusing. We live in a world that's really crazy and then take it upon ourselves to feel like we're crazy for being existing in a crazy world. And like, it's a crazy world. It is, you know, to feel sane in the crazy is it's, it's his own thing. Yeah. And we get to change our mind whenever we want. Whenever we want. Whenever we want. Yeah. And we don't have to explain it to anyone. No, it's funny. I was just talking to a girlfriend yesterday who was having a hard time. And I was saying like, I, I've learned it for me when I'm trying to shift out of my story or my stuff that like, I have a couple ways in. And one of it is to remember that like ex- the, the benefit of exercise is that like, it's a way of creating energy for myself, right? Like when I think about myself as a creator, right? Cause people throw it, like we say artists, but really at the end of the day, like it's about being active, alive creators, people capable of creating. And, and in that it's like, okay, well then where do I create energy? Where does energy come from? Like somebody was saying to me like, oh, you create energy when you exercise. So like you feel more energetic after you do the hard thing, which is counterintuitive, right? But you're really sourcing energy through your body as we exercise. And so like, we feel more alive through the sourcing. And I was like, all right, well, where else is that true? And I'm like, okay, my body, that's hundred percent comes from exercise in my mind. That comes when I turn when I shift that to gratitude right? Or noticing, like noticing exercises and gratitude, like taking that kind of peripheral viewpoint. Yeah. I can find that same, like I can create energy in like spaciousness, right? That non-attached thing in my body through exercise, in my mind through that gratitude. And really in my, in my being, when I make art, like when I allow myself to be creative, 
I'm sourcing that same kind of energy. It's like the vitality that comes through the body and the the grace that comes to the mind. It's like, it comes through, it comes through the soul a little bit different through the art, but I feel like it's all the same. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Perfectly said. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Like as artists that we tap into that as part of our medicine. You know? I do too. And also through sexual, you know, I feel like it's all sensory. So yeah. sexual, sensual input and output. Like when you're working out to when you're making art, when you're noticing how the light is falling on a thing, like mm -hmm. all of that, it's awakening, isn't it? It's all awakening some aspect of yourself. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, um, that slow roll, that slow boil of like, can I just allow myself to just be in this moment and just notice what's here? Just use my senses to do that. To me, like that's almost as, that's some of the most profound medicine we could take. I think so too. Just learning how to be in that moment. I know. I feel like we're missing the moments that matter all the time. I think photography, you know, to bring it back to that, really, that looking through the lens helps me be present mm -hmm. for sure. It seems like your artwork in the past year, those kind of shifted, not necessarily away from photography, but really expanded into like photography and. You know what happened is that. Uh, I was doing painting and drawing in high school when I was on meth. And that's when I learned I had talent. My high school teacher told me I was talented. And that's what led me to pick art school when I got sober, because I didn't know what else to do with myself. But when they asked me to pick a major, I said photography out of the blue. There was no previous photography, anything anywhere. I just picked it. Wow. And, uh, and so now I feel like after saying I'm a photographer, for many, many years, I, I am just going back to my being myself and not restricting myself by any sort of container around how I'm expressing myself. I can really relate to that. I feel like in, um, I feel like I held myself back from really sharing my coaching work that I do with people and really to a disservice, honestly, like when I think about it, I'm like, wow, that was really, a, that's really a disservice because I felt like I was going to be so confusing to my people. Yeah. My people are, but like, I was like I, afraid I was going to be like confusing to say that like I coach and I'm a photographer and like, honestly yeah. hadn't realized how, how seldom I would own the role of artist. You know, yeah. I felt very comfortable staking claim to role of photographer, but artist was a different one for me. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And like, and, and sort of spiritual leadership and coaching, like all of those places where that stuff intersects. When I speak to you and we talk about those triads and those things, I'm like, of course, like makes all the sense in the world. Like, why wouldn't you be telling the whole world? When I turn that to myself, though, I'm like, well, that feels a little hard to say to people though. Well, that seems a little like. Isn't that know, funny? It's yeah. so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have had that conversation with myself a lot around what I do for a living and who I'm talking to and all of that. Like, what am I doing exactly? <laughs> but yeah, I because there's so much of it is not what we're, I think the big push is because our culture asks us the question in a way that isn't, doesn't relate to us, right? Like in the same way, the unemployment questions didn't make a lot of sense for freelancers because you don't work like that. The questions no. don't, they don't make sense. And like, we, so much of what we do is, is an expression of who we are. So it's yeah. really like for someone to say, Robin, what do you do? It would be easier for them to ask me like, who are you in the world? Like what lights you up? 
Yeah. Or just like, how do you, how do you be you in the world? Because that's an easier thing for me to articulate and actually really the work I do and really the work you do, because the reality is like, whether we're sitting in a hotel lobby, shooting the shit, whether we're, whether it's a photographic session, whether you were like healing through the camera, whether we were having a conversation, whether it was a mentorship thing, like no matter how we did it, no matter which way we swapped the roles, it would still be all the same work, right? It would still be a sacred matter of seeing one another, being present, being mindful, reflecting the truth back to each other. Like it'd be the same thing. So what you're saying is that you're a seer. Yeah, that's why I say. I, I've said on my thing for a long time, like I see people for a living. Yeah. 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 Which then, you know, it's confusing, but. Yeah. I know, I see, I see people. <laughs> Not um, much of a call to action unless, you know, <laughs> till I start my mediumship channel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I am. I'm excited to, you know, have the opportunity to reinvent whenever it feels like I'm, I'm shifting. I get to label myself in a different new way because I'm understanding myself in a different way. Mm. And then I think when I'm more aligned, I resonate with the right people. I don't know. Yeah. Because there's really a matter of, um, there's a, there is a part of it is a simple matter of giving ourselves permission to just stake a claim to whatever it is we want. Like so often people would ask how I became a commercial photographer. I was like, you decided, well, here's the thing. Like I never worked for anybody else. So, right. It was kind of like, yeah, like I just decided, like I get it. There was a day where I had done, I, instead of taking like somebody's portrait for a family thing that they used for work, I took an actual headshot, which was frankly zero different, but in Right. in terminology crossing that threshold of because it was for their business suddenly I was like technically a commercial photographer and I was like well I feel like I crossed that threshold now so I'll say it and like I just think most of life is like that it's like you just say it when you when you're ready to say it and then the rest of the world's like cool sounds right <laughs> like, yeah when you believe it other people believe it yeah like if you walked out of this interview and told people you're a bank robber they'd probably believe you if you you know like <laughs> People all believe you. No matter, yeah, like they don't care. People don't care. They just want to know what you do so they can figure out whether or not they want to do what you do with you. Exactly. Yeah. Like we get so like, again, back in that, like, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, like, maybe that's not even the conversation to be having. I know. I think that we were fed that a long time ago, like to figure out what it is we do for a living. I mean, it has to have a name. And it has to be understandable to people outside of us so that they can approve or deny us the truth of the thing that we say we do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it when people, I, I, it's not that I don't like it. I find it challenging when people say, what kind of art do you do? What kind of photography? You're like the art kind. <laughs> the kind that I feel like in the moment. Uh, long, I, I do long exposures because I'm looking for what lives in between the words. Like, ha, okay. You really want to know? I'll tell you. <laughs> I, it's just very, seat. It's, 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 yeah. It's and an yet, and yet it doesn't really, I mean, what's funny is I love that, like you're in LA, I'm on the East coast and like, we get to see each other through these different lenses of like the emails that we, that are email campaigns that go back and forth or the other yeah. things. And like, I love that we both will feel like, I don't know what I'm saying I do in the world, but we both have a really clear sense of what the other person does in the world and who they are in the world, even though, and we both tell everybody 
about each other and send people to each other, even though neither one of us could really articulate what we do. And I'm like, I don't think it matters. Like, you know, to anybody out there who's like, I don't know how to say what I do. It's like, that's because you're trying to articulate the entirety of who you are in a sales pitch that came out of a need for somebody to choose you and approve of you when you were going to go apply for a job that was beneath you in the first place. Yes. That's why this is a mind fuck. Like nobody was meant to explain who they are and the role they play in this world in a couple of like, I help so that they can, so that, and the result will be, and like, I know. Thank you, Bob. I think I, I think in, in the bottom, like the bottom line for me is that uh, when I look at why I do what I do, it's because, I mean, not just my own artwork, but why it's important for me to be out in the world and offering things, whether it is my art or online classes or a trip to France, who doesn't want to go to France? But underneath that is the part of me that was in the darkness knows that there are others like me that are still in the darkness. And I would like to offer that there's another experience to be had that is worth investigating. That's it. Yeah. I think there's a part of me that, um, as much as I've worked through the darkness, I really own that there's a part of me that is, I will, I will further not only be connected to the darkness, but feel a little bit of a responsibility. Like I feel like there are, people who can see into the darkness and that have been in it in a way that leaves them more available to go back in and get the others out. It's kind of like firefighters, right? Like I'm like, I'm like, okay, it's fine. You want to run Like I get that you're brave enough to run into that thing. And like me too, like if somebody's really in the dark, I can go like, I can spelunk in the cave that other people won't go into because I've done it for myself. You know what I mean? And I think that's an important I think it's I, I've it's been an easy thing to second arrow myself about that of like well you just like the darkness or like you're so dark and stormy or what have you but it's not an inability to see the light it's a responsibility to recognize those that don't have the strength or the ability to crawl towards it right now yep. you know yeah that's a perfect way of saying it you are really good at articulating I have to say why well, thanks I spend really? a lot of time alone thinking about weird things <laughs> I do too. <laughs> And trying to figure out why the deer are ruined in my garden. Mm. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you feel like, um, like when you imagine the person at home that is just really wants to give themselves permission to stake claim as an artist or let them, let them begin to use creativity as a path forward or as a medicine forward? How would you, where does someone begin? What do you say to them? Well, I like to say to get out of your own way because it's not actually for you um, and that you don't know how your work is going to impact somebody else's life and, and that it's a, it's a little selfish to keep it to yourself just because you think something about yourself. Like that, that whole measuring system that you have that's keeping you from making a mark on a, on a canvas or taking the picture is a, uh, getting in the way of massive expansion that is is not up to you I don't know how else to say it except why not why not you I could keep going (laughs) yeah no it's so true it's so true you know sometimes I wish like you could just walk around and give people permission like I wish that I could have given myself permission because we're, we're we're always so much closer Oh, I mean, like we're so right. Like we're so much closer. Like I, it's funny because in, in 
in pivoting in business things and stuff. Like I'm in that phase where there's little, there's new things I have to do that I've done before, but they're in a different software. They're in a different yeah. thing, which means I'm yeah. just this much of a newbie at it. Like just enough to be like, stumble a little with the thing. Yeah. You know, and remember like, right. Like we get to have compassion for like the newness that we face when we're trying to become a different part of ourselves. Even when we're just trying to become a different way of being connected to ourselves. Like Absolutely. this is hard stuff to do, especially when global things have been sketchy. Yeah. And when we live in cultures where like trust, trust and power structures are challenged, have challenged us in a way that we don't always feel like we can rely on what, what other people say or yeah what we know to be true, right? Like the truth isn't always like, it's not always as available as it once, as we once were able to think it was. I would say that most of the self doubt that we have is because we're pointing our, our attention outward and here, and we're comparing ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. We don't think we measure up. So why even bother or other people have already done it. So why, why try? And I think if you stop looking outside and just go to your desk and get the materials that you want to use and use them with no interest in what others think about it just play it will change you it will change you there's almost like a matter of um it's almost like there's a there's a leap of faith in in that right like giving yourself permission to be new at something and diving into the portal of uncertainty which is creative practice like it is it is it is a it's a, you, you can't control it. That's but I also like, think it's why the, I, it's why having, it's why giving yourself permission and like kind of forcing your butt, even if you just take out a piece of paper and spy, like do a spiral, anything. It's like, because it's not actually about the thing you create. It's about like overcoming that inertia of creating anything. Yeah. I'm in it right now. I, I really am pushing myself into areas that I've never been before. And it's taking some momentum to get there. Yeah. It, it, it is taking some momentum because I'm facing that part that we've all, we've been talking about today, that there's a part of me that feels unsafe in doing the thing I don't know mm. or pushing my art in a direction I've never been. And, and there's a bunch of me that's super excited about it and doesn't care. Like, and sharing it publicly, like having yeah. stepping, like I've really appreciated your willingness to like share more boldly and share the artwork more openly and have like the fine art part of who you are be be that much more seen. I think as people who live on the other side of the lens, like that level of exposure can, can really threaten that sense of safety. Yeah. I see that a lot in people, not people, not posting their art. And I think, well, that's because you're taking it personally. Right. Kind of all goes back to that. Yeah. And who cares what anybody else is thinking about you? It's really a reflection. If you're fearful of rejection, it's because you've already rejected yourself on some level. And you're afraid that somebody's going to point it out. Like truly it has nothing to do with what anybody else says. It has to do with what you say. No, and life is too short. I mean, it is just too short for, it is too short. Like if anything, I feel like the past 18 months or five, whatever it's been now, uh, right? I mean, the time of it's all quite weird. Uh, I feel like given that 8 billion of us had 8 billion different experiences of what that just was, like let that be reason enough to let ourselves off the hook to do whatever you want. You know, and again, like I say that understanding the privilege of the sentiment I'm making, right? Uh, but but in whatever way you have that agency, take yourself up on it, you know? Yeah. Where can people find you? 
where can they get more of you and where can they work more with you? And you know. um, they can reach me on Instagram because I have four Instagram accounts, but go to, oh, that's just keeping it simple. <laughs> just go to see just on Instagram or my website, katherinejust.com. And I have a art as medicine happening and oh, France is happening. Like my France retreat in 2022 is almost full. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. People are ready. People are ready. And I think people are really wanting to be seen because I think people have really lost sight of themselves. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's a really powerful, it's a powerful thing we do for each other, especially as women, I think is to create containers where we have a willingness to be seen with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to create sacred space. One day we will do that. We will photograph each other. Yes, we will. Still on my bucket list. Mine too. Uh huh. Just have to teach me how to use that big Polaroid first. <laughs> I'd love to. I know, but that'd be fun, right? You and me. Yeah. yeah, that and a retreat. I keep thinking that there's a retreat to be done together. Yes, we should. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Me too. Thank you so much for this. I love you and this conversation. I love you. I love you. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You've been listening to the Robin Ivy podcast. I want to thank you for spending this time together today. And if you enjoyed this episode and haven't done so already, please subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, leave me a review. This gets more listeners like you and I to hear the messages my guests share. That would mean so much to me. Last thing, the thoughts and views of each of my guests does not reflect my own personal viewpoints or opinions on topics discussed. This podcast is an open forum for dialogue, kindness, and insightful expression. And this often means looking at life through a new lens. I hope you love today's episode and invite you to join me once again at the table on the Robin Ivy podcast.